Hey, it's Cara here from The Sleep Method. Welcome to episode nine of this series. We have 10 parts in this series and I've been really honest about it. You know, it isn't a flashy series with lots of fun music and adverts and all these other things, but I wanted it to be bite-sized. And I'm so, um, I'm so excited about your feedback of the podcast and I'm really, really pleased that you find it interesting and useful. So, in this episode, I want to talk to you about the four pillars. I talk about them a lot on Instagram and they are the basics. They are our fundamentals. They are our foundations of sleep. And at certain ages, they are kind of all you can do. So when we look at newborn sleep in the first three to four months, your four pillars are going to be essential if you want to work on sleep. Again, anything kind of goes at this point. So you don't have to work on sleep, but if you wanted to do something, if you wanted to give yourself some structure, the four pillars are going to be great for you. As you go on from that newborn phase into babyhood, toddlerhood, even childhood, we are looking at those four pillars making up the basis of our work together. So when I work with clients, they fill in their questionnaire and I then go through and analyze everything they put in and I compare it against their sleep log. And what I'm looking for are really glaringly obvious things for me, but also the subtle causes of sleep challenges too. And I'm looking firstly to see if those four pillars are in place. So we're going to go through those four pillars now. And, you know, some people will say, my baby doesn't do any of this stuff. I find this really hard. And I totally get that. I was that person for sure. Um, so, you know, if it if these don't work for you, they don't work for you. But they can make or break sleep. And quite often when we get the four pillars right, sleep can transform on its own. So it's really worth giving it a go because they're all really gentle, simple things that we do definitely want to see in place. So when I'm training our students, we spend a lot of time working on the four pillars. And there are definitely some questions that come up from them that probably would come up from you as well. So if I go through the four pillars and then hopefully, because I haven't written this down, I totally wing it. <laughs> I'm hoping I'm going to remember telling you that um, there is a really big question around the four pillars that my students ask that hopefully you will find helpful too. So um, the first pillar we're going to look at is pillar one, which is our wake windows and sleep cues. I know wake windows can be a real mind boggle. Wake windows are basically the time between your child falling asleep and waking up and then between the time that they wake up and then fall back asleep and it's actually that latter one that we're looking at more closely so from when the, your baby wakes up in the morning say they wake up at seven o'clock in the morning we are looking at how long they stay awake for before they fall back asleep and when I mean fall asleep I mean when they have gone to sleep so that wake window depending on their age can vary between sort of half an hour at the newborn phase up to 60 minutes, 90 minutes. And then when we have our toddlers, we're looking at wake windows of like five hours. So they vary quite a lot. The reason we go with wake windows is that our babies are, especially our babies, they're giving us such clear signs if we can work to wake windows. Working to wake windows make naps a lot easier. They make uh, the sleep latency period, so the time it takes for your baby to fall asleep, a lot quicker. We're looking at a sleep latency period of 5 to 25 minutes with an ideal time of about 15 minutes. Um, but it doesn't really matter if it's not 15 minutes. It just gives us as sleep coaches a really good indicator 
of where your baby is at, whether they are over or undertired. And wake windows play a really important first step in understanding a child that we're working with. Every baby and child has a different wake window. So we do have averages. They do stress people out a lot. If you are quite set on the averages, the best bet is actually to spend three or four days writing down just what your baby does. So not thinking about it too much, but writing down when they fall asleep, when they wake up, when they fall asleep again. That is our wake windows. And they're the first thing we look at. So some clients come to me and they'll say, yeah, I've absolutely got them down and baby falls asleep within sort of 10 to 15 minutes. I'm thinking, good, we've got our wake windows down. Some parents come and they'll say, I have no idea about wake windows. And we'll spend the good first week looking at wake windows. And the other part of pillar one is our sleep cues. So we have our wake windows, but usually our wake windows come along with sleep cues. And what's really interesting about sleep cues is that there are so many. Um, I thought it was just yawning, but actually we have got things like staring, yawning, rubbing eyes, rubbing noses, going glassy eyed, arching away from us as we as we pick up and cuddle our babies, they can arch away from us or they can actually nestle into our chest or into our shoulder. Um, we also have red eyes, so on red eyebrows, there's many different sleep cue. And again, this information can be found over at the Sleep Method UK on Instagram or by just direct messaging me, whatever's easiest for you, if you need that information immediately. We also have this included in our self-settling guide, which is free to download on Instagram too. So our wake windows and our sleep cues, they kind of go hand in hand because we see a sleep cue, we generally know it's time to pop our baby down for a nap, and then we want to write down the time they fall asleep. And we want to then start seeing patterns of maybe early sleep cues, which can include things like yawning and rubbing eyes and our late sleep cues, which are crying, fussing, things like uh, nestling into your chest and shoulder. There are late sleep cues. So when we see those, babies are already starting to get overtired. So we can tell so much from wake windows and sleep cues. And if you are looking to work on sleep and you don't really know where to start, you really want to have a good understanding of how long your child can stay awake for before they need to go to sleep. And also the signs that they are tired. And some babies show really, really subtle or non-existent signs. If you have a baby where you think they show no signs of wanting to go to sleep, don't worry. Just be more focused on those wake windows. And maybe you are that parent then who has to focus more on timing and wake windows than the sleep cues. And they, you know, some babies just don't show as many obvious sleep cue signs. And when they, if they show signs like staring and going glassy eyed and avoiding you, they're really subtle signs. It only takes you to go and make a cup of tea, turn your back for like a second and that's happened and you've missed it. So don't be surprised if that happens and you just aren't aware. Um, so pillar one is our wake windows and our sleep cues. Pillar two is our um, sleep environment. So sleep environment is the space in which our little ones sleep. And the funny thing is, we can really underestimate the importance of sleep environment. When I'm looking at a sleep environment uh, with my clients, I am looking at them sleeping in a safe space. So whether that be in a cot or co-sleeping or bed sharing safely, I'm looking at what they're sleeping in. Um, so is the room hot? Is it cold? Is their sleeping bag, if they're in a sleeping bag, too hot or 
Is it, are they too cold in that sleeping bag, in that environment? I'm looking at the noises around. Do they have a white noise machine to mask any loud sounds? Is a boiler coming on in the morning and we had no idea it's coming on at the same time every day? What are the shadows and shapes like in that room? Is it a really dark room? Are there shadows on the walls that could be scary for toddlers and children as they get bigger? Is it too dark? So when we have a really dark room, actually, we want that room to be, if 10 is pitch black and completely dark, we actually are looking for a seven. We want them to have a little bit of light in that room. So all these things actually play a really important part in ensuring we have a really consistent sleep environment. And the more consistent that sleep environment is, the more relaxing it will be for your child. What we want them to do is fall asleep in an environment that is similar when they wake up in the night. And they will wake up in the night because we all do, but we want them to kind of turn over, have a look and go, yeah, this all looks and feels like it did when I went to bed. And they feel comfortable and secure enough then to fall back asleep. So this also comes down to where is your baby falling asleep at bedtime and are they waking up there in the night? So if they fall asleep in their cot and they wake up in the in their cot at night, chances are They'll find that very reassuring. They know they went to bed there. That's where they've woken up. Great. If they fall asleep on you and then wake up 40 minutes later and realize they're not on you anymore, they're in their their cot or their sleep space, it's a bit like us falling asleep on the sofa and waking up on the front lawn, for example. It will really cause them to wake up. And all these things will play a big part in sleep. Other things to think about are comforters. And what's in the cot? Is there any form of comfort in the cot? So when we look at comforters, we're thinking of things like, yes, like teddies or muslins. They're great forms of comforters. But we also want to be mindful of what's safe, uh, depending on age ranges. So do head to the Lullaby Trust to make sure that those comforters are within the age range that's appropriate for your little one. But all these things have a really important part to play in sleep. So pillar two is our sleep environment. Pillar three, we are then looking at routine. And I have done a podcast on here, um, an episode all about routine or going with the flow. So we're going to keep this one a little bit shorter. But having predictability and pattern and a little bit of a routine can be really useful for babies, especially babies, children, toddlers, all of them. They love pattern and predictability. So is there a routine in place? And by this, I'm looking at things like when I get a questionnaire in, is this child or baby starting their day and ending their day at the same time? The rest is kind of irrelevant because your wake windows will figure that out for you, What's what the best nap times are in the day. But when we look at routine, we're looking for the day to start and end at the same time. It really does help. And it then kind of sets your day off on the right track. Because if they're waking up at the same time each morning and you know their wake windows are roughly two hours, suddenly you have a nap routine made up, ready to go, all aligning to your baby's needs. So you can see why starting and ending the day at the same time is going to be really important. So routine is key. When we get a baby sort of seven months and onwards, I think you can start really setting the time for those naps and maybe keeping them sort of giving yourself a little bit of a 15, 20 minute leeway either side. So if they've had a really rough night, you might find that you need to bring that nap forward 20 minutes in the morning for example, um, or if they've had a great night and they, they don't look tired at their normal time, you can kind of put them down 15 to 20 minutes later. But for the first six to seven months, going with wake windows, um, which does mean it's a little bit more varied, 
day to day is much more important. And then when we get sort of seven months and onwards, I think you you can definitely start setting more of a set time for naps. But all of this starts really with starting and ending the day at the same time. And it's a really simple thing to work on um, and sort of navigate with your little one. And the last of our pillars, the fourth pillar, is actually the hardest thing of all, but one of the most important, and it's consistency. So what do we mean by being consistent? We kind of mean giving something a go for at least often seven to 10 days, depending on what kind of sleep strategy you're using. I would be looking for our our four pillars to be worked on for at least a week, week and a half, even two weeks. So when I work with clients, we work together for a week, often just on our pillars. If that is not enough and we're not seeing sort of the results that our clients are hoping for, we then might add a sleep strategy in. But we do it on the basis that those pillars are in place and we have set that baby and that toddler up in the best way possible for any sleep teaching or other sleep strategies to be really effective. And they're not something we rush into either. So being consistent really does mean trying as hard as you can to stick to any plan that you come up with, whether that be with a sleep coach or on your own, and working really hard to understand your baby's sleep needs, their wake windows, their sleep cues. It's A lot of it is about becoming really aware of your little one. And you know me from previous episodes, I totally did not even look at my baby for the first six months. I looked at the books. So what we want to do is get you some structure and some routine based on your little one because that really will help them but I think it will also feel really good for you to know that you're watching your baby but you're also coming up with a bit of structure and routine Um, because I think all of us as much as we like to go with the flow or not just having a little bit of an idea of the day ahead and when we're napping and when babies are going to bed it can help us a little bit to feel calmer and at ease. So The question that my students ask me a lot, and I think you might be thinking, is what if all the four pillars are in place when you go to work on sleep? So say you are looking to help your baby sleep in a different way now. You might be going, okay, Cara, this is great, but my all my pillars are looking great. I do everything you've just said. Then it might be a case of looking at that routine and making sure it is spot on and it's suited to the age of the child. We also want to make sure that maybe our goals, maybe are they are they actually sort of achievable for the age of our little one? And from my students' perspective, when they say all the pillars are looking good, can we go into sleep strategies? My answer is yes, you can if those pillars are looking great. Um, this is where the self-settling guide might be useful because we do look at sort of self-settling um, strategies there, but we it is tip of the iceberg stuff, I'll be honest, because that is quite complicated. And as a sleep coach, I don't rush into anything like that and never really would never give advice on that without sort of a a really deep analysis of your situation. And that's what I do with my clients. But I think if you've got all your pillars in place, then you're probably ready for that next step. And that's when you probably want to speak to a sleep coach and hash out some ideas together and make sure what you're doing really aligns with your parenting goals and style. So if you want more information on your four pillars, we've got this over on the sleep method. UK on Instagram in the well they've changed it now it was IGTV but it's now under videos and they're not as easy to find which is really annoying but they are in there if you want to go in and learn more about your pillars this is like the longest podcast I've done these are meant to be bite-sized so I'm going to leave it there 
If you have any questions, my door's always open. And I hope that whatever you're doing, whether it be day or night that you are listening to this, I hope you are having a good one. And I will speak to you really soon. Take care.